0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Metro Music Makers Podcast. This is Allison Gerald founder and CEO of Metro Music Makers. I am here with my co-host, Mark Grundoffer, and we are interviewing pediatric audiologist, Dr. Krista Reeves, who is known for her specialty in auditory processing disorders and is currently among the few audiologists in the Metro Atlanta area that have the training and expertise to test and treat for APD. She also owns a full pediatric auditory clinic here in the Atlanta area called Little Listener's Clinic. We'll be sure to drop the URL to her clinic in our show notes. And Krista, I'm so happy you're here. Not only are you here professionally with us talking today, but you're a close friend of mine. So this is extra cool.
1: Absolutely. We go back how many years now? Like twenty uh, over twenty.
0: Gosh. How old is uh how old is, is Megan? Twenty
1: six. Yeah. I mean, she started when she was seven, so nineteen yeah. years. Nineteen Amazing. years. Yeah. Yes.
0: Isn't that crazy? And it is crazy. And you sent me an invitation to her wedding. I this did week. indeed.
1: Yes. In just six weeks. It's getting a little scary. I can't believe it. I know. All the babies. All grown up. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, you're so welcome. Well, um, you gave us such a great workshop for our instructors talking about auditory processing disorder and the importance of music, not only for APD, but also just auditory development in general. And we're definitely going to be discussing that today. But first of all, I really want to know what motivated you to pursue this line of work? I mean, you show up at the University of Georgia and you're like, I want to go into communication sciences and disorders. Like, what, what leads a young college student to go in that direction?
1: So that's actually a great story. I, um, all my life wanted to be a teacher, you know, forever. I thought I just want to be a third grade teacher. I had the best third grade teacher, honestly. We had this discussion this weekend with my friends. I don't remember any of my teachers' names. It's really sad, but she was great. And I just forever thought, this is what I want to do. And then my junior senior year in high school, I saw the movie Children of a Lesser God, and they did a lot of sign uh-huh. language. And he was a teacher of the a deaf teacher, a teacher of the deaf. And I was just so fascinated with the deaf culture. And so I show up freshman orientation, get in line with thousands of other students, dozens of professors lined up as, you know, freshman advisors. And I walk up to uh, Pat krikos who happens to just be an audiologist in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. And so she says to me, so what are your interests? Because I apply just as undecided education maybe. And I said, honestly, I want to teach math to deaf students. And she says, "Wow, well, that might be just a little too narrow. Let's broaden that up a little bit. Um, math is my favorite subject. It's really my only subject. Um, so she um, directed me to this little program at UGA called Communication Sciences and Disorders. It uh, provides the background education you need to uh, go into the field of speech pathology, audiology, or deaf education. And, um, and then in that you know, curriculum and doing the clinical stuff I needed to do and taking the courses, I was introduced to audiology and thought that was just really cool. Um, loved the medical side of it, the equipment, the audiometer and the sound booth. And And I've always played music. I've played music since I was in third grade. Um, so That's just, right.
0: You fl- you were a flautist, I, I believe. I was a <laughs> flautist. Do most people know
1: that that's what we call flute players is a flautist? Um, they
0: know today.
1: And I was quite a good flautist too. I was first chair flute my um, last three years of high school. So I was very proud of that. But yeah, so I just thought it would be really interesting to, you know, work with people who have hearing impairment, um, help people to hear sounds and speech better and, and all of that. So my first goal was just to you know work with kids do the educational side of it but then in my clinicals and in grad school i started working with the elderly and hearing aids had internships with the va really started to love the geriatric population so i went full 180 and went into decided i was going to do geriatrics and hearing aids and then my first real job was with Northside hospital which is the largest birthing hospital in the united states or at least it was in 2000. Um, and was just thrown into the deep end of the pool of pediatrics, which is terrifying for all new audiologists because little (laughs) people can't really tell you when you're hurting their ears. Um, But that's where my pediatric experience came from, and I just found myself right back to where I started in more educational kind of audiology, educational medical audiology, and I love it.
0: That's so cool. And can I just make a side note how art influences people's paths in life and i think it's so cool that the movie i didn't know this story and that's a great movie i remember that movie children of a lesser god and how that influenced you so whether it's film music visual art dance um, and no matter what you go into you went into a science but you're influenced by
1: an art i think that's so cool and i'm a math brain so go figure now right. I can call myself a scientist because I have a scientific <laughs> degree. So that's
0: right. You've got all the all the letters behind your name. Hey, so we do have
1: quite a few.
2: So, Krista, when when uh when my daughter was born, I remember being in the hospital. And within the first few days, someone came in and basically tested her hearing. Um, when you said you were in pediatrics, is that what you're talking about?
1: Yes, actually, we um, so in 2000, the state of Georgia. Um, jumped on the bandwagon with the national mandate to screen every baby born. So um, for 20 years now, 21 years now, we have had within this state, every infant born in Georgia has had to have a hearing screening. And that's because prior to that, we were only screening based on high risk factors. And so we were missing about 50% of infants that are born with hearing loss. So we can't really catch hearing loss on, um, you know, just based on high risk factors. So. We I was part of the team. There were six of us that were in charge of creating this protocol for how are we going to test all these babies. At one point there were eighteen thousand babies born a year at Northside Hospital. So you can imagine it was quite a big undertaking to figure out how to with only six people and you know, some peer in weekend staff, how are we gonna get all these babies tested? So um so, yeah, so that's, that's what that program is. It's currently called the Early Hearing Detection and Intervention Program, EDDIE program, and I'm actually an EDDIE program audiologist as well with District 2 Public Health in Gainesville. So I go out once a week and screen all the babies from the North Georgia hospitals. They get their screenings from nurses, don't pass those screenings. They come to public health, and I do the follow-up testing.
0: So, Mark, I was honored that Krista came when Elliot was – was born she came in to do his screening at the
1: hospital Oh, that's cool yeah, yeah. it was really yeah.
0: awesome i was a little out of it but i know she was there
1: <laughs> i i was there and it's probably in a logbook somewhere i could go back and track it down <laughs> with my initials on it well I, re- probably.
2: I remember that screening for my daughter and you know it was just been the first few days and it was maybe the most nervous part of the whole thing Right, I'm sure I,
1: with your degree, you know, you well, want your baby to
2: hear that. Yeah. And, that And I just, I, I don't think, I don't think I knew that was coming. So then they show up and they're starting to put stuff on my daughter's head and they're like, we're a big tester hearing. I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was something we were about to do. So, you know, yeah. I mean the whole, t- the whole process is a whirlwind. Right. And so to have something like that come in, but it, it was great. And they did, it's super fast and super easy and, um, at least it was in our experience.
1: Yeah, the science is very complex, but the process and the screeners are are really easy, and mm-hmm. we can train you know nursing staff and um, techs that aren't don't have an audiology degree. We can screen them to do just a pass screening. Got it. But um, then it just requires an audiologist to do any follow up if we don't get them to pass.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know who it was that came in. This is when I my daughter was born in Los Angeles, so. Okay. um Different than I mean I don't know if it's different than around here but you said that they've been doing it for about twenty years here in Georgia has it been for that long everywhere else or would, did Georgia kind of blaze the trail for that No
1: actually Georgia I think was a little bit behind the times oh, Okay because my um, my oldest daughter was born in nineteen ninety five and she got a screening in Memphis Tennessee oh, Okay. And then my youngest was born in 1997 at Northside Hospital, and she did not get a screening mm. because she didn't meet any of those risk factors. Gotcha. So, some states had started that prior to when Northside picked it up. Okay.
0: So the the standards and protocols that you helped to develop on that team at Northside was that just for
1: Northside? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was based on you know the the Eddie program, which at the time called the Universal Newborn Hearing Screening Initiative, so UNHSI, Um, but at the time, there were certainly protocols we had to follow, and Mm -hmm. then just with the huge number of babies that we had to deal with, we had to develop specific protocols for just how to get the task done on a day to day basis. But yeah. there's a 136 protocol that we have to follow, um, meaning that babies have to be screened by the time they're one month old, uh, diagnosed by the time they're three months old, and intervention in place by the time they're six months old. And that's because Research shows that if you have intervention in place on an infant by the time they're six months old, you can save their development. So you know, what can... kind
0: of intervention are you doing at six months? Hearing
1: aids. So okay. we're putting hearing aids on little babies. Um, and then that also involves getting them involved in speech or OT or any other kind of early interventions. Um, here in Georgia, we have babies can't wait, um, Mm -hmm. birth to three. And that allows for therapists that are needed to go into the homes. They'll do assessments on babies that fit certain high risk factors. And, um, if they qualify for services and they have services covered by the state in the home for those first three months.
0: Yeah. Those are some great resources for any parents listening. Definitely check out babies can't wait. And, uh, What's the yeah, other one you mentioned? The EDI program. The, the Early hearing. program.
1: It's EHDI, so Early Hearing Detection and Intervention Program. And that's through Children Medical Services. Um, lots of great resources. Georgia Pines is another organization in Georgia that helps parents with resources if they need financial support for hearing aids and services. Um, that's available. And all of those things are resources we give parents when we do identify hearing loss. In um, a child, qualifies for that program, even if they just have a mild hearing loss in one ear. Great. And I'll, uh,
0: I'll definitely reference those in our show notes for everyone listening, because
1: those are all great programs.
2: So I'm, I might be jumping the gun here, but that this is not what you're doing now.
1: No, I, I do. I do this kind of as a little side gig. So oh, okay. um, my audio, audiology practice, Little Listeners, is focused on auditory processing disorder, which is... For me, I I mostly deal with grade school kids, although we can see kids, you know, I, I see kids of all ages. So I do developmental testing up to about three and a half. I can do auditory processing screeners on kids from three and a half to five. We can do full evaluations on, Um, all grade school-age kids and college-age kids. And I can even do auditory processing assessments on adults. So um, we recently opened a um, second practice, a sister practice called Helix Audiology, uh, which is actually run by my eldest daughter, Megan. So Dr. Megan Reeves is our audiologist of that practice. So she runs the more adult hearing aid side of it, and I'm doing more the pediatric APD side of it. We do that Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays is when I go to Gainesville and I do the baby screenings with the Eddie program. So I'm a district two public health contractor. Um, so I get paid separately by that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So since you've touched on APD, do you mind defining auditory processing disorder for folks who maybe don't really know what that is?
1: absolutely so our mentor my mentor personally is a man out of kansas city used to work at the university of buffalo dr jack katz and um, he's our mentor for our organization called the international guild of auditory processing specialists which is another thing you can notate um, in the the show notes but um, the website for that is igaps.org but um, he coined the phrase auditory processing is what the Brain does with what the ear hears. So we can have, you know, hearing tests like your, your baby got, Mark, um, at birth, like my kids got, well, my kids didn't get it because they didn't get it in time, but, or didn't get the programs on, in in time, but um, we can do just hearing tests to make sure that the peripheral system, so the outer ear, the middle ear, the inner ear organ, the cochlea are turning sound from mechanical energy to electrical energy along the nerve but once it hits the nerve and travels through the brain stem and then starts to hit the auditory system the central auditory system then that's more of our central processing system. So it's how the brainstem sorts out that information and then how the temporal of the auditory cortex um, and those higher systems in the brain manage that, that incoming auditory information. So we have a really great image that I use as a just learning tool for parents and these kinds of workshops to help parents see that, um, Auditory processing is very foundational, so it's a little pyramid image. And so your first layer is just bringing that auditory information in and hearing it. Do your ears work? And then once it passes through the brain stem and starts to get organized in the auditory cortex, that's very foundational and kind of automatic, doesn't require any kind of manual override. You don't learn to process auditory information. The only way that that develops is through auditory experiences. So if you have a child who is born deaf, Um, or cannot hear, they're not going to develop auditory processing skills because their brain is not getting that peripheral stimulation. So um, the central part of that is what I focus on. So when kids come to me for auditory processing testing, we do a quick peripheral evaluation to make sure hearing is normal for the testing. And if it's not, we can still do auditory processing testing we just have to do it in an alternative means um, with the understanding that the peripheral system's not doing its job Um, but we like to see that that hearing is normal so then we know that those results we get are because the central system's breaking down in some way um, for one of those primary skills and and that's what's causing this child to have communication difficulties
0: what are some of the clues that a parent or a teacher even might notice um, that would be indicators that they should schedule a testing.
1: So that's one of the most common questions a parent has for me is, "What do I tell the teacher? What do we need to do different in, in the classroom?" And my, um, I explained to them the easiest way to explain it to somebody working with a child—a coach, a teacher, a tutor, a music there, you know, a music teacher. Um, they need to treat the child like they are hearing and prepared, even though their hearing is normal. Mm-hmm. These are going to be kids that are the, huh, what kids? Um, the deer in the headlights kids. You ask them a question and they just kind of, there's that awkward pause. Mm-hmm. Um, it's There's a very close correlation in symptoms with ADHD and with dyslexia. So with common signs that you're going to see in those kids, you're going to see those with APD. Um, the important thing to keep in mind is auditory processing is more of a foundational skill that can impact how you focus and and maintain attention but also how you learn to use your language and develop your reading skills which is something that we see as a problem for kids with dyslexia so you know kids that can't uh, follow directions have trouble sequencing uh, fall behind in being able to read on level Um, They misunderstand things that are being said. They can't remember things that are said to them. They answer questions inappropriately. They have a poor social life because other kids see them as peculiar or strange in the way that they interact with them. So those are some of the things you might see with a child with APD. And unfortunately, because audiology is such a small uh, profession, we have in the state of Georgia just around 500 audiologists licensed Uh currently which is really, really small. I mean, Mm -hmm. in comparison to speech pathology, where you may have 5,000 or more. Oh, wow. Um, And then in the field of audiology, there's only a handful of people who even understand auditory processing disorder, and even fewer people who have time in their practices to set aside for the testing and the therapy and all the attention that a child with APD needs.
0: So is that why you kind of decided to specialize in this? You just noticed that There was something missing. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: When parents call in, we do have some parents that'll call in and say, Oh, I just need to schedule just a basic hearing test for my toddler and you know, so that we can get insurance coverage for our speech therapy. And we often will refer those to just an ENT or a pediatric audiologist. And okay. not because we don't want to see kids with just normal hearing issues, but mm-hmm. uh, one, we don't take insurance. And so some of those basic auditory needs can be handled at a pediatric audiology practice that does accept insurance. But then two, you know, we we are booking our, our, evaluations out about five to six weeks right now so to get a child in for just something basic that needs to be is more of an acute issue mm-hmm. we can't really accommodate that so
0: at what point is a parent when they are calling you like have has someone has a therapist um another therapist or doctor said hey this is something that might be going on or are they guessing at
1: it yeah they Our referrals come from all kinds of places, but Mm -hmm. what we're finding to be the most common is psychologists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, uh, a few pediatricians have really plugged into this. Um, What we're finding more and more now is a lot of these parents are coming from facebook groups so they belong to the autism facebook group or the dyslexia facebook group and somebody will make a comment my child's dealing with this or this is something i'm seeing and another parent will chime in and say hey you know my child dealt with that too and we went to little listeners so we are getting a lot of google searches and just you know some parent research on their own um we do find that most of the parents that end up here have done, they've been through the gamut, they've seen several therapists and they have done a lot of research. Um, but it's still such a complex subject that it still takes a lot of parent consults and just time and energy to really help them understand what their child is dealing with and what we need to do to address it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, tell us about the treatment because you do have a very specific timeline for treatment which i find fascinating and wonderful all at the same time because we've discussed how a lot of times you'll start with a therapist and there's no definitive end to their treatment plan so we talk a little bit about how you treat apd um, and what that looks like when someone comes in
1: absolutely yeah we um so we start with an evaluation it's a two-hour evaluation we typically do those in the morning when kids are fresh and haven't had a full day of exhausting school um we do those evaluations that just gives us an idea of what kind of skills is the child struggling with and what kind of that helps us mostly with understanding what kind of recommendations do we need to be making to the school and to the parents as um, immediate interventions and things that can be done to help listening in the classroom or on the ball field or at home around the dinner table to make those easier and better for everybody. Um, and then we develop a plan of care. Our program is a very objective program. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a diagnostician by fault. And so those open-ended therapy programs just don't jive with the way my brain works. And I like seeing a lot of objective data. So the program we have is actually my own customized program. Um, I did auditory processing testing for about 10 to 15 years before I got into therapy. Um, I referred out for therapy to speech therapists or OTs um, and often found that they would come back and the language. Issues were addressed. Or the sensory issues were addressed, but because they're not audiologists, they weren't addressing the auditory cortex directly, and the kiddo just starts right back where they started, or you mm-hmm. know, ends up right back where they started. So, I knew that there was a need for some resources here in Atlanta. So, I started looking into different resources available and developed this program because I feel like we, what we need to do, you know, as we started at the beginning and, and discussed. Auditory processing develops with clear, consistent, daily, 24-7 input of um, auditory information. And so I thought, why don't we focus on giving those that extra auditory stimulation that the auditory cortex has been missing? So I'll make the comparison for some parents of, you know, you take your child to the pediatrician every year, and they do their height and weight, and they plot it on a graph, and if it's falling behind, at some point, the pediatrician might bring up with the parents, let's talk about doing some human growth hormones, some hormone treatment in order to stimulate the system to try to get their growth back up on that growth curve where it needs to be. You don't know, give HGH for life just to get them to a certain point, and then the objective is, now that you've gotten them where they need to be, their, their system should be able to continue to manage on their own. So that's a comparison I make. Our auditory training is meant to be just an immediate intervention for a short period of time to give extra stimulation to the auditory cortex in order to get their skills where it needs to be. So right now we do kind of a bundled program where everything a child needs is for two years. They pay for the therapy, but everything they need If I need to hop on an IEP call or a 504 meeting with the school, I can do that at no charge. Um, If I need to advise a coach or a therapist on how to approach therapy based on these auditory needs, I can do that. We include three evaluations along the way to just get checkpoints and make modifications to the plan of care, Mm -hmm. Um, and then all the therapy that they need initially. So the first three months is coming to the clinic twice a week and doing direct auditory listening activities um, with a patented program that I created. It's called our PACE program, Mm -hmm. Um, and PACE stands for Primary Auditory Skills Exercises. So it focuses on direct listening activities for words that are in noise. Or words that are competing between ears and with words that are distorted so we gave them very simple names um, so it was easy for parents to understand um, and we do those direct listing activities for about three months here in the clinic twice a week 30 minute sessions and then we give them a rhythm training tool um, because rhythm is really important in synchronizing our auditory and motor skills which are important for speech and communication and so we do that rhythm training in order to try to, to pull all those systems together. It's a synchronization neurofeedback tool that helps to um, strengthen and synchronize up your auditory, uh, visual, vestibular, and motor systems and getting them working as a team.
0: And I've had the opportunity to uh, learn the rhythm training and uh, b- only because you are like, you need to learn this rhythm training. <laughs> so thank you. but. Um, it's the success rate is extremely high and um can you talk about that a little bit like the success that you've seen
1: absolutely yeah the uh we see huge success um the biggest problem we have with parents is im can be im stands for interactive metronome it can become pretty monotonous, and I do one here. It's like at, at first this is going to be novel and cool, and they're going to feel like they're getting extra tech time and playing a little video game. But it is no Fortnite. Like a, the graphics are not super high tech, and the gamification is you know very basic. Um, you know, kind of back to you know old Pong. You know, from the 1980s. <laughs> it's pretty simple technology. I did. I
2: did the interactive metronome once.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, and Mark knows it.
0: <laughs> and
2: I got really upset that I did and score better and I was like and I, and I made them let me do it a couple more times when, yeah. we, when we were all together it got very competitive so. why
0: doesn't that surprise me yeah. <laughs> you, you, you get a bunch of musicians on yeah, the rhythm Yeah, we got
2: training. we got real competitive. I bet you.
1: I bet you did. Uh-huh. Yeah, we run competitions here every now and then just to kind of motivate the kids. We'll put our scores up and mm-hmm. talk about how many super right ons you get, and, yeah. uh, highest in the row, and all of that. But it can get monotonous, and so if kids don't follow through and do the whole training template as you know it's designed. Um, they may not meet their end goals, but when we see kids really push through and push through the monotony and get to the very end of it and really master all the tasks for all the motor skills, um, the difference it makes in their ability to process auditory information and how that translates into that synchronization with those other systems is amazing.
2: How has, uh, I would imagine that your, your, um, your job, your company, the whole process has been really elevated by technology, right? Um, and it seems like this, this, uh, this whole world is is kind of new in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, so, I mean, the 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 uh, you mentioned the uh, the the man who defined this is still alive, right? And has a website and all that. So it seems like this is is fairly new. So has technology really changed the game was it was it completely different 10 i mean even just 10 years ago i guess the way you tested and treated yeah for for young kids and as as you know and and as they grow older i would i just have to imagine it's it's a whole new world now
1: it's constantly evolving for sure um the technology actually makes it a lot easier to Mm -hmm. do some things we had some really wonderful technology about 15 years ago. I had um, the privilege to be able to use that technology for a very short period of time at Northside before I left there. Um, Unfortunately, the company that developed the the technology uh, sold out to a different company. The FDA quit supporting the research and then it was pulled from the shelf. Um, But we did have a way of measuring um electrical potentials in response to speech sounds and be able to see baseline how a child's brain um it's run like an eeg of the brain um how the child's brain responds to speech stimulus before therapy run a course of therapy and then repeat that and we could see improved electrical potentials to sound to speech stimuli and that was huge that was game changing because one of the criticisms of APD testing is it's very subjective. It requires, I had an autistic child today. um, You know, he's very severely like level three autistic. He can speak, but it's um, difficult to prompt speech from him. And so we got very limited information on him. And if we could, under a sedated condition, run this electrical potential on him, it would give us a much better objective view of what's happening in his brain when he hears speech sounds. Um, So we need the technology back, but right now it's just back on a research level and we're still just trying to convince some manufacturers to make this more of a clinical uh, availability again. But the technology is great. We started off with my um, listening tracks just on an MP3 player and we have since uh, worked with a app developer and created an app and we can put them on an ipod they can they're out on the apple store parents don't have to we don't have to ship ipods to parents um they can just download the app from the the itunes store or the google play store and access it from there so technology has been really really helpful Um,
2: did did you guys did you guys as a company do any because you have an app, is there, is there is there an ability to do this remotely, like during you know, the bulk of 2020?
1: Yeah, there is. Uh, we had um, the ability to do kind of a home program, so mm-hmm. we would teach parents how to administer the listening therapy at home, and that's when we would mail them an iPod, or mm-hmm. when we got to the point of being able to download an app, they could just access it from home. So we were able to service kids who weren't 30 minutes from here, an hour from here. Um, and doing some home therapy over the quarantine and the beginning of the pandemic is when we started to develop more of a teletherapy approach so where we could have um we could have a therapist listen in so the parents would access the app from home and put the child on headphones put them on speakerphone on a different phone and we would listen in or get on a webex call and be able to do it that way Uh, So that opened up some opportunities as well. And during the full-on quarantine where we were locked up and just couldn't even get to the office, um, there were a few kids who really needed this information. And um, I was able to get my app developer to load my testing tracks on the back door of my therapy app so that I could at least get some baseline, just basic information on how they're processing sound not ideal because it's not through calibrated equipment in a soundproof booth it was in their home but the other option was putting them on hold until after quarantine and which would delay their therapy so we we did that for a few kids which was really nice to be able to do and just get kids working on something while they're sitting at home anyway and then when we got out of quarantine brought them back in and retested everything in the booth the right way to just make sure we had that solid baseline
0: score. So I am curious, I'm sure you did have some, some kids that paused. um, And I'm curious as to, you know, those kids coming back, and then are you having to backtrack? Uh, What's, what's that like for them? Like, how much more time does it take?
1: So one of the um, high risk factors for auditory processing disorder, I mean, most kids develop it through just some developmental hiccups, lots of upper respiratory stuff, and just not getting good peripheral stimulation. Um, others, it's more neuromorphological. So they just their brains are just wired differently, like for attention deficit, autism, dyslexia, those kinds of things. Um, but some kids develop APD, they're normal developing until there's something traumatic that happens, either a, a brain injury, um, a stressful situation, a trauma, and that can change the way the brain wire is wired for bringing in auditory information. So, you know, we have had kids with PTSD who were normal developing until that traumatic incident, and then their auditory processing sc- just skills really fall off. So... I would say the pandemic and being quarantined and stuck at home and having to suddenly homeschool and you know parents dealing with financial stress and losing their jobs or you know everything you can imagine that happened during quarantine was very emotionally stressful. And there were kids, you know, we immediately jumped on these this is your prescribed home program, do this and you know, everything you can while you're at home until we can get back in the clinic. And I'd say maybe five percent of our parents had the time and energy to do so after mm-hmm. all of the demands of homeschool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, there was a big gap in their treatment, and then also just that emotional toll that it took. And most of the kids that came back and we did the post-pandemic, you know, reset baseline, had digressed. And I, mm-hmm. we wow. concluded not formally, but that there was an emotional component to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, um, 2020 was a tough time. <laughs> that was something. Yeah. something else. But they're back on track, mm-hmm. and um, that's the good news: is that you can get back on track, and you know, again, you have a very specific, definitive treatment plan, and um, and I'm glad that, that they came back and are continuing their progress. So I want to hit on the music. Um, with the rhythm training you do, and you are always so great to refer your clients to us for lessons or music therapy, depending, um, so that they're, they have that continued auditory stimulation beyond their treatment with you. Uh, can you talk about the importance of music learning for children that are being treated for APD, and also just for overall auditory development.
1: Yeah, and you and I have talked, you know, before about developing some infant classes, just being able to hear um, intonation and stress and timing elements um, that you are exposed to when you listen to music and you learn music and you learn to perform motor activities, like clapping your hands or bobbing your head or even just dancing back and forth in rhythm to the sound that you're hearing those are important elements that help to tie in like i said the auditory and the motor system together that are critical for language development and so kids who have that early music exposure and get that exposure to those elements early on tend to have more success with developing those language skills and Having a good solid language development sets you up, it primed you for reading development and long term verbal memory. We've talked about that before too that music lessons and verbal memory, you know, music lessons can help to boost that. And then at the talk we did the other day, um, you know, I was doing my research for that. I was really surprised to see, I think I mentioned that there's even research out there that kids who have music lessons early on. Tend to have um, stronger memories later in life and preserve those cognitive skills later in life better, Um, Mm -hmm. which is surprising for me because I don't know that I feel like I have.
0: (laughs) We already said you're you're not
1: there yet.
0: We still got a few years before we we need to test that theory. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but yeah, music is critical. I mean, it's it's a really important element to those early foundational listening skills, um, music and prosody, so how we hear tone um, of speech is critical to interpreting language. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I tell parents that kids who struggle with understanding tone, um, they're not going to hear humor and sarcasm and irony. And they're going struggle in middle school as a middle school girl, understanding that middle school, mean girl middle school speech, you know, that what that girl just said to you was not a nice thing. You know, uh-huh. she's being very passive-aggressive. So those kinds of things are, are really critical to the development and um, if you can't hear tone, you're not going to be able to speak tone and you're not going to be able to interpret some real subtle parts of language that are really critical to understanding and communicating.
2: How does, um, how does music therapy... And what you guys do it, little listeners, like overlap or work together.
1: So we'll start typically with our just basic therapy program. I always have a general recommendation that an extracurricular activity for a child while they're working on their auditory processing skills of music is going to be great for them. You know, it's just a general recommendation that's on every report I send out um, when we get to the end, you know, the kids that I do end up recommending, hey, let's let's look at getting serious about picking up a musical instrument or doing some dance classes or learning to sing and doing some voice lessons. Um, or maybe let's, you know, go be evaluated by metro music makers for music therapy, you know, sessions and see, is this something that's appropriate for this child at this point? There are certain kids that I see will have um, rhythm issues. They just, despite all of our work with that in our metronym, they just can't quite get it across all those tasks. Um, they still have those um, pitch issues where they can't understand um, prosody of speech. They don't hear the tonal difference as well. Um, that's more that tonal and timing stuff. But then also we do testing to see how um, the brain manages information coming in from both sides. So we have two ears, we have information coming in from both sides. A little trivia, I don't know if you know this, but the one of the ways we localize to sound is by time differential. So if somebody from my right says, hey, watch out, it's gonna hit my right ear hundreds of milliseconds before it travels around and goes in my left ear. And without any kind of manual calculation, my brain just knows, look to the right and protect myself from that ball, come in t- straight for me. Mm-hmm. So there's a timing difference there. So if you don't have synchronization of that, if you don't have those early mechanisms to detect those timing differences, that's why one of our questions is, can your child localize to sound? Do you call their name in the house? And they're like, where are you? I don't know where you are. I can't hear you. It can be a sign of hearing loss in one ear. You know, If you don't have hearing that's equal in both sides, and you're not going to necessarily detect those timing differences, but it can also be a central sign that you're not integrating and synchronizing that information, coordinating it well centrally. So um, if they continue to have some difficulty listening with both ears, which we call dichotic listening, then doing music lessons to continue to work on those timing and tonal elements of speech And I usually am strongly recommending that they do something—a musical instrument that requires them to do something different with both hands. Mm -hmm. So, piano is my favorite, and I think we talked about this (laughs) at the at the course the other day. But you know, you not only have to play two different things with both hands, but you have to pay attention to two different clefs. Um, But guitar is great. Flute was great. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to do, pay attention to, and and do something different with both hands, and it often you know, requires crossing midline. So you might Mm -hmm. hold the guitar here, but your right hand's over across the midline, which is good integrative task as well. So um, there's a lot of correlation between, you know, what music can accomplish in helping to improve those APD skills.
0: Right. And and I would say when we... uh... Take a client in and we do an evaluation. And if they have worked with Krista, it's, it's good for us to know that, but we still do our own evaluation uh, for what the music therapy treatment and objectives um, and treatment plan will be because they might be slightly different, you know. Yeah, it's good stuff. So. It's amazing how important the auditory system is for everything,
1: basically. It, and it's so complex. <laughs> Well, it, it is, it
2: yeah. makes me, it makes me kind of wonder, like, as a professional musician now, and maybe this is more of just an ENT thing. But, you know, as a professional musician, you know, who has played in front of like loud amps my whole life, you know, is there something that, um, you know, is, is, is there a process that that musicians should go f- through, like, for for hearing health, you know, that, that you're involved with? Or again, is that more of a you know ear nose and throat doctor kind of thing do you know what i mean i've yes. never actually thought about it. i've never thought about like oh you know cuz i can go get my eyes checked but right. i don't ever I, I don't know if i've ever done a hearing test of any sort in my entire life you know and, i can hear te- my amp but
1: <laughs> well, te- and technically everybody should every year have their hearing screened we screen oh, wow. children every year at the pediatrician's office um, but it's like once you hit adulthood and you go for your physicals, it's just not something that's. Even yeah, they never. I don't think I've never
2: had my hearing tested.
1: No, mm. and that's unfortunate. I mean, it is ideal to have it, and especially since your career right. was based off of having good hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and hearing loss tends to set in at such a gradual pace, and as you, your peripheral input changes, the central system adjusts to that. So you could end up with a moderate to severe high frequency hearing loss before you even have any symptoms that it's there. I because would not doubt it. It sets in so slowly you don't uh-huh. even know what's happening. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, the only way to to circumvent that is to just have your hearing tested annually and just make sure you're hearing all those tones. But uh,
2: that was that was kind of my question is that something that you should uh that, you know, Adult musician listeners of this should go to their ear, nose, and throat, and talk to them, or is that something that you guys do?
1: It doesn't require a medical referral, so yeah. you can go see if you know an audiologist. If, if mm-hmm. there's one in your community that you can get to easily, I mean, uh, you can you can very easily acquire. Just put in you know a Google search, audiologist. Um, you know, my preference is you see an audiologist because we're trained. Uh, we're all either doctors of audiology or we hold our master's degree um, and have been grandfathered into the new educational requirements. Um, But we have a very solid background on the hearing science and the medical issues that are connected to hearing loss. Um, If you see a basic just hearing specialist, you may not get that medical review, but at the very least, just get a hearing test done wherever it seems the most convenient um and just track that every year but we we can practice without an mds uh, oversight yeah gotcha mm-hmm. okay and mark i'm sure you've
0: been screened they well i'm a child of the 70s mark is a child of the 80s mm-hmm. but they used to bring the testing into the school you remember you'd like listen through headphones you raise your right hand if you hear the sound no of i don't remember that. you never did that
2: let's I mean my the school I went to did not have this I didn't learn how to like write in cursive at my school so I mean we didn't do those kind of things oh. at, at my school that's <laughs> like
0: that's so 2021 <laughs> yeah, I mean
2: I don't I don't know I don't think I've ever been screened for my hearing but uh you know but I have to go yeah. in every year for my eyes and I have to do like the just just hours of testing on my eyes um because there's they're all they're all over the place but uh Well, I know an
1: excellent adult audiologist right here in my building that could see you. Well, there we go. Well, maybe I'll do that. There
0: you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Krista can hook you up. There we go. I can. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, listen, this has been an awesome discussion, and I feel like we could have you back on and do a deeper dive. I would love to talk about the difference between musicians auditory development and non-musicians i mean there's a lot there i think that'd be a really fun discussion and um, i'm sure mark and i'll be bouncing around a lot of ideas after today we're so honored to have had dr krista reeves of little listeners clinic here in north fulton metro atlanta i will have her information in our show notes and um, please if if you have not had your child screened please go get them screened because as she just said it's important to do annually so um thank you again Krista really appreciate it
1: absolutely thanks so much for having me
0: and we'll see all you listeners next time we've got some really great stuff coming up on the next episode and uh we'll look forward to seeing you again bye everybody